You are in for a treat this morning. Clem's message is so good that I got to take notes a second time today because I got to hear it again to process some of the things that he had to say. For those of you that don't know Clem Ferris, he's been a friend of ours for many, many years. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. He's been friends of uh, the, a friend of the leadership team uh, since the mid-90s. He's had a lot of input into us and and we really appreciate that. We're glad that he's able to join us today because usually he's globetrotting around ministering to leadership teams all over the world. And uh, we're just blessed to be able to have him today. So would you welcome our friend Clem Ferris up to the pulpit right. this morning? It's all yours. This is part of the globe. So Helena, Montana, globetrotting in Helena. It's great to be with you. Thanks for the nice weather. I'm leaving tomorrow and then it's going to snow again. So... That's divine. Wow, great to see all of you. It's good to be back with you. It's an um, exciting time in the kingdom. We made it this far. It's good to see your, all of your faces. Not a half face. I was in uh, Vancouver, B.C. last weekend up in Canada. And it was for that church, it was the first Sunday they've had a service without masks in over two years. And the pastor was going, I didn't even recognize half the people. I've only known them from their nose up for the last two years. It's like, who are you again? So it's good to be with you. And we always have a great time. For those that don't know, I base out of a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina called Grace Church. It's been my home base for 22 years. Before that, we pastored down in Florida. And uh, it's just been great to uh, see what God's doing. We've made it. Things are happening. I believe God did so much in the last couple of years that we did not perceive. We did not see one of the things I really felt like God was putting in my heart is that God was ripening the harvest. We're not in buildings. We're kind of shut down. We're doing Zoom meetings. We're like, God, what's going on? And he goes, just watch. He's ripening the harvest. And this Sunday is like Super Bowl. This is like, get your sickles out because God's going to reap some people into the kingdom of God. This is like Super Bowl Sunday, Easter Sunday. We have the greatest thing to celebrate. Y'all look more excited than that. This is like, this is better than March Madness. This is April. Like, whoo-hoo. Yeah, we get, we get to share that joy with people. So spread the joy. I like what GR said. Go invite somebody. It's the easiest Sunday to invite somebody to church. Even, if, even religious people, just bring them to your church. It's like just people will be open to an invitation. Get them here and see what God does. So I'm excited for you. Now, these gifts uh, series have been great. I've, I've watched a couple of the videos that JR and the guys have done. And um, it's really important to understand how God wants to use us. We don't just come and have a nice club. We meet on Sunday morning. We drink coffee hang out with our friends, and then we go about our, our, our day and our world. God wants to use you as the body of Christ to touch people, minister to people from old to young, even crying babies. That doesn't bother me at all. It's like, oh, that's life. You know what? That sound? Life. We want a lot of new spiritual babies in this church, just crying, making messes. And we're going, we love you. You know, we love new people. We want new babies. We want Christian babies in here. I'm so glad to see more kids sign up a healthy church. From the front row to the back of the side, let's come on, keep them coming. Yeah, we want, we want, hey, how many know the labor and delivery room is noisy, messy. The morgue is quiet, peaceful. Nobody's disturbing anybody. Which, what kind of church would you rather have? I'd rather be in the labor and delivery, right? Come on, let's keep them coming. So we're going to talk about gifts and movement of the body. And I'm going to take it into a bigger picture, maybe an overlay of how the gifts really need to... uh, kind of, what's kind of the order of the gifts? And I'm going to talk today about what I just call, you know, God, gifts, and government, right? God's gifts, but they only operate when there's order and governance to them. So uh, I want to start in Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. This is where Jesus gathers his disciples as he's about to ascend. 
This is after the resurrection. He, believe it or not, he's already been raised from the dead for 40 days, walking planet Earth, talking about the kingdom. Wouldn't you like a video? I want that video. When I, I said, well, I want to see what happened those 40 days. It's just, the Bible's pretty silent. I can't imagine the conversations. He's already been risen from the dead. He's walking around in a, in a human body, but a resurrected body, and he's yet to go to be with the Father, but he's ready to take off. And he says, okay, guys, I got time for one more question. Any, any more questions before I go? They go, yes. Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now before you go? What? That's your only question? Yeah. It's all political. It's all about politics. How are you going to do politics, Jesus? And Jesus is like going, guys, not for you to know or understand the times and the seasons the Father has set by his own authority. God's in control, but let me tell you something. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit, he's about to come. I'm going to send him 10 more days. Go wait in Jerusalem. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Everything's going to change here on planet Earth. You will receive power. He talked about power. And it's sermon upon sermon upon sermon. That word is all laced through the book of Acts and the epistles and the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's coming inside of a human. It wasn't a package. It wasn't an app on a phone. It wasn't, it wasn't something you could tangibly get a hold of. It was going to be put into humans and distributed to the whole world. That's what we get the privilege of doing now, today, 2022. We are the distributors of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in us. So we got to get it out. That's why it's gifts. We get to give it away. You give gifts. God gave his greatest gift, Jesus, right? That's what we celebrate Sunday. Jesus turns around, gives his greatest gift, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit turns around, gives his, gives all kinds of gifts. It's like constant Christmas with the Trinity, right? Giving, giving, giving. So in this idea, there's one context when we put this understanding of Jesus giving power to believers, he says, and you'll be my witnesses. We'll have a divine partnership. And this thing's going to go global. So we're living in that global part. Now, the power comes in what I call the power of community. Where do, where do we actually touch the power? Where do we see how God wants to distribute the power? And I call it God's power grid. God has a power grid. Heaven has a power grid. And we get to join it. And here's the thing that keeps it running. Matthew chapter 18 we're going to look at how important this power grid structure. And I was talking to one of the brothers after church. He goes, yeah, I was doing a bunch of wiring Saturday. And he goes, I had to be very careful. I had to go on YouTube. I had to check, make sure that I had everything connected properly so that when I flipped the switch, the power would flow. One wrong connection stops the power. Yeah. Thank you for that free illustration. It was good. Though. I was like, yes, that's so true. Matthew 18 Verse 19, Jesus said, again, I say unto you, if two of you agree, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my father in heaven. Four were two or three or four, whatever. It's not, not about a number. It's about, about a picture of unity where two or three are gathered in my name. There I am in the midst. So this whole idea of plurality coming into symphony. And that's that word agree. If any two of you shall agree, symphoneo is the Greek word for agree. It's where we get the English word symphony, like a symphony orchestra. A symphony, symphoneo, is, means to come together in an intricate pattern to produce one sound. That's what an orchestra is. If you were an orchestra and we had the, the, wind on, the winds over here and the strings here and the brass and the percussion, all different kinds of musical instruments, all kinds of intricate ability, but we have to bring them together to produce one sound. That's the whole idea of power. 
the power of a musical group getting together and producing one sound. You go, whoa, that sounds great. Because you take the intricate patterns and bring them together. And that's what Jesus is saying. If wherever two or three or four or five or 10 or 15, 20 come together and there's symphony, something happens. It produces the presence of God. That's what Jesus said. There I am. There I am. My presence, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. I'm here. Gathered in symphony, I'm here. Then the power comes. That's when we plug in. We plug into Jesus. We plug in and power comes. Ability comes. Something supernatural happens. That's why you're in this building today on a Sunday morning because we get to experience and touch a realm that is invisible, but it's supernatural. Can't get it at Starbucks. Can't get it at Walmart. Can't get it anywhere else. You get it here in community. That's why we do small groups. This is good on Sunday morning, but then it's like, let's do it again. Let's do it this way. Let's do a small group. Let's have the two or three or four or five. Let's continue to stay in spiritual community. Why? Power. Power manifests in us to be distributed to the many. The balance is not asking selfishly. Notice what he said. If two of you are in symphony on earth about anything they ask. Now, you've all been in prayer meetings, maybe a small group, and it's prayer time. Okay, we're going to pray. And you're sitting there, and you know what? That's, that's an opportunity to have symphony, or not. <laughs> or not. Because sometimes, you're, you know, let's have prayer, we're praying, and all of a sudden, one person comes in, and there's a little bit of selfishness in that prayer, a little bit all about me. Oh, this, this is for me. It's like, I want, I need, I want. And suddenly, the selfishness can disturb the power of community. And all of a sudden, it's like, this whole thing's for me, isn't it? And you can, you can sense it. To use a little Star Wars vernacular, there's a disturbance in the force, right? There's a little disturbance in the force. What's going on here? It can be easy to not find out what his will is and superimpose our will in a little community meeting. And we begin to say, what's the disturbance here? We have to go back to symphony. We have to go back to saying, and see, only the Holy Spirit is the conductor. And I was in a lot of musical organizations growing up, all through high school and all through college. I was in ensembles and all kinds of stuff. So, you know, you're up there and you have a conductor and all of a sudden he'll just go, okay, stop, 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 stop. Somebody's out of tune over here. Somebody's out of tune. Give me a B flat. Why? You're not, you're not. They know when there's disharmony. And that's the job of the conductor. And the Holy Spirit will, he'll call it out if we're, if we're sensitive. He'll call out disharmony. It's like, wait a minute, somebody's out of tune here. We've got to keep symphony. Why? Because we need presence because we want the power. We want to go from a meeting in a building, which is great. Hey, God's not against buildings. We like this building. But we're moving from just, and boy, God took our buildings away for a while to say, you know, it's not just about the building. It's about the people. And so we're moving from a meeting in a building. We're creating a tribe of people on earth that bring the presence of God, that switches on heaven for the purposes of God. You know, God is going to use you, Mount Helena, to switch heaven on for people that have never touched heaven, never experienced heaven, don't even believe in, believe in heaven. God wants to use you as a tribe of people that roam around here Monday through Saturday, walking around Helena in the vicinity, a tribe of committed people in community. You can be in community when you leave the building, as long as you're in harmony. You can be in, in unity. You can be, and the presence of God will go with you, and the power of God is in you. And then as you, you out... Roaming around hell enough, people have no idea the power in you because you're in community and you switch heaven on for people that have no idea there is a, even is a heaven. And that's all good until you go to the next verse because Jesus isn't done. He's setting up the disciples. 
And Peter, don't you love Peter? He's kind of like our scapegoat. He does, he's asked the questions we want to ask, but we're too afraid. Or we look at him and go, boy, that was stupid, Peter. But I would have asked that. That's exactly the same question I had. Aren't you glad, Peter? So Peter comes up in verse 21 now in, verse, in Matthew 18. Lord, I have a question. Um, how often will my brother sin against me and I still have to forgive him? Isn't that a great question? Wouldn't you all like to just have, like, could I just have one number? And he's looking for a number. How many times? Just give me a number. I'll work with the number. In fact, Jesus, I have an idea of a number. And I'm going to go big. Because, see, in Jewish law, you were, only, you were allowed, it had to be three. That's with baseball, three strikes and you're out. So in Jewish law, you had to forgive three times. So Peter's going to go big. He's going, how many times should we actually forgive a brother? I'm going to go generous here, Jesus. Seven. It's like double plus. Seven times. Are you impressed with the fact that I said seven, Jesus? goes, ah, let's go 70 times seven. No, not seven, 70 times seven. He said, what are you talking about? Peter's asking on one level of his humanity. Like, how far can I stretch my human ability to forgive? Seven? Jesus goes, ah, let's take it up a notch, Pete. I'm thinking 70 times seven. And it wasn't about the number. It wasn't about the number at all. It was lunacy to actually think I'm going to forgive 490 times if you're a math person. Or maybe you're thinking, well, gosh, what if Peter... Wouldn't it be nice if we just had an app, a forgiveness app? You get 490, and someone comes up and says, excuse me, um, you know, I'm so sorry for what I said the other day. Um, would you forgive me? And you go, excuse me. I'm to 485 this week, and I only have five left. So I'm sorry, I can't forgive you this week, because i got to keep five spare for my wife and some other people at work. <laughs> that Guaranteed. You know, we don't have, it's like, I'm keeping track, you know, it's like, that was 466. It's not about the number. The idea here is Jesus is like, whatever it takes to preserve the integrity of the community, whatever it takes, 490, 590, 1,090, it's all about the power grid. You want to keep power in the community? You want the presence of God? Then forgive infinitely. Don't break the power of communities with the message Jesus was trying to tell Peter. Because he goes back to like, we want symphony. We want harmony. We want power to flow. And it only flows when this is placed. So say, well, ha, how's this? Is gonna, how's this who's going to keep track? If I don't have an app, who's actually keeping track? Who's going to govern this thing? That's where governance comes in. That's where the, the, the elevated call that comes in Christ is distributed back unto people, and he does it in very strange ways. And we call this now the issue of order. How does this all happen? It comes out of one word, order. Nice, softer word than governance, but it is governance, order, oversight. So, understanding the theological position that Jesus was trying to put his disciples in, and preparing them for what would be life in the local church, he talks about the issue of order. We have the issue of community, now the issue of order. The issue of order. Titus chapter 1, verse 5. So Paul comes to Titus, his disciple. He says, Titus, I'm leaving, but I'm going to leave you here in Crete. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to set in order the things that are remaining and appoint elders in every town as I direct you. Paul's giving instruction for the church on how to keep order when he leaves. And so we look at this idea and he goes, I want you to set in order. I love the way the Greek says it. It's just so much clearer. In the Greek, he would, he would have said it this way. I want you to put in place 
the things here that are sliding out of position. That's what we would say in the Greek. What? Titus, what? I got to leave you here. I'm leaving you here in Crete. Why? I want you. Your job is to keep things from sliding out of position. Without order, everybody, things naturally slide out of position. And somebody has to be responsible to put things back in position. How many know heaven is a place of order? Things are very orderly in heaven. How many know God has not only a plan of order in heaven, but it bleeds down into humanity? There's order in the home. Come on, somebody. Okay, all, all your moms say yes. Yes. Look at your husband and glare. Look at your kids and go, see, I told you. Uh, order in the home. Order in society. Order in governments. Come on. There's, God is a God of order. He puts things in order from Genesis all the way through. And so we have all these things because things slide out of position. Spiritual things, if not dealt with governmentally or in some kind of an authority, will slide out of order. And it works in the home too, moms. Those socks don't go there. Who put those there? Go put that away. That doesn't belong there. You go put that away. I mean, all day, it's like, why? Order just flows out of them. Aren't you glad? Moms just have this order gene. And they just want to see things are out of order. Don't look at that way, guys. You do too. Who touched my tools? Who, that wrench, who, where's my wrench? It's like, guys have their own little system of order for their things. The other thing is like, I don't really care, but uh, sports and all that. But listen. The law of entropy, E-N-T-R-O-P-Y, the law of entropy, physically, it's a physical law. It's just a physical law that literally thinks everything is breaking down. Everything decays. That's the law of entropy. So this pulpit is nice. It's sturdy. It's strong. It's been here. It's been here for several years, but in 200 years, it's just going to be a pile of junk, just dust, dirt. You know, it'll, it'll eventually just break down. If I put a banana up here this Sunday, by next Sunday, it'd look pretty bad. Why? Bananas go a lot faster. <laughs> Some have a very rapid rate of breakdown and decay. So things slide out of order. The whole world is diminishing. The whole world is diminishing. Things are breaking down everywhere. If authority doesn't exist in any system, they will diminish and break down. And we're fighting it all the time. In our world, the, the, the flesh, the devil, the enemy is trying to break everything down and diminish it. And so that's part of our battle, part of our fight. And so when it comes to moving in the power of God, the enemy's going to do all he can to break order, to bring disunity. He doesn't want God's power. He's scared of God's power. He knows what the power can God can do. In Acts 10.38, it said how Jesus of Nazareth was anointed by God, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with power. That same word in Acts 1. Dunamis. Power. And go, man, if that ever gets working in the church, we're doomed. Went about healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Do you know there's people walking around Helena oppressed of the devil right now? Right today, tomorrow, this week. But God anointed Jesus, and he anoints you. And we're to go out doing good and bringing healing to those that are oppressed because God is with us just like he was with Jesus. And so this whole idea of order. And how does he happen? goes back, Titus, what? I left you in Crete that you might set in order the things that are sliding out of position. Well, how am I going to do that, Paul? All by myself? He goes, no, 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 no. I got good news. Ordain elders in every city. God's answer, God's remedy, God's answer to this was what? Appoint elders, not preach messages. Isn't that interesting? He said, now, Timothy, your first series, in your series of sermons, do a whole sermon series on order. No, he didn't say preach messages. He said, ordain elders. Put 
people in position. It's like God puts parents in position to keep order in the home. God puts spiritual parents in the church to keep order in the church. So why? Your kids can grow up healthy, successful, and then be released into society as healthy human beings. If a church doesn't exercise biblical eldership, things will diminish. Things will slide out of order. I saw that firsthand over COVID. I hate to say it. It hurts me that a lot of churches didn't make it. And a lot of the key issues was this. They didn't have order. And it was revealed. They had cracks in the foundation. They didn't have a good system of order, governance, oversight. And when the pressure came and things kind of just slid out of position, there was nobody there to put everything back in position. We learned a lot. The need is for a long-term dimension to build. Keep, let's keep building what God's building. Keep building Mount Helena. You're building here. I've seen it just in the, in the visits I made during COVID and everything. You're still building. Why? You have good elders. You have good elders here. They kept things from sliding out of position. They kept some of you from sliding out of position. Some people of their own volition slide out of position and there's nothing you can do about it. But when the shepherds come and want to touch you and say, how are you doing? Hey, what's going on? How can we pray for you? That's not to like, they're not checking up. They're not the police. They're shepherds. Their job is to take care of sheep. Next verse, when Paul was going around on his missionary journeys in Acts, Acts 14, it says, you know what? When they appointed elders in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord. They went around appointing elders in every church. Why? Take care of the people. Shepherd the flock. It's kind of simple. It's sheep and shepherds. But man, our society makes it so complicated and tries to bring division. The answer, God's order. How do we do that? We set in elders, senior people, presbyteros. The Greek simply means presbyteros, those who are of senior positions, those that have maturity. It's a character maturity, not so much any other maturity. It's not age. It's not like find the old guys and put them in there. It has to do with recognized ranking, recognized spiritual maturity, watching how they serve the people. You're already eldering before you become an elder. You're already shepherding people. You just love people. You just want to you care for them. You love them. They bring seniority of position to bear upon the church. It's not based on longevity. Jesus appointed 12 disciples, knuckleheads, never done anything like that before. But he just poured into them and taught them how to shepherd people, love people, heal people, give up their own lives. And just, you know what? He just kind of just poured into them. Paul did the same. There are some necessary things that can be imparted to individuals that will keep things from sliding out of position. That's part of the equipping of this house. That's part of your growth track. That's part of getting linked. Go link with the church. Then get into the growth track. Find out what you believe. Then get discipled. Then get serving. Why? It keeps things from sliding out of position. Keeps you from sliding out of position. Get a position. Get into position somewhere in the kingdom of God. You belong somewhere. I don't know. I can't tell you. You have to get that from God. But you belong somewhere. Because the Bible says you are a member of the body of Christ. No dismemberment allowed. We don't, we don't have a bunch of floating fingers, right? And arrogant arms and kind of feet that are just out there fluttering. No, you're part of a body. You need to be connected. Otherwise, your body part, whatever, your, whatever great talent and gift you have as a body part, you can't function without the rest of the body. That's the whole analogy that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. And JR has been preaching out of it, J- Jason. So let's, um, let's shift there and talk about this whole idea of how does, this, how does this govern then in the church itself? And we call this theocratic church government. There's are big words, but it describes 
the essence of what we're trying to explain. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, great chapter. I mean, the whole chapter, Paul shifts into a teaching on spiritual people. It starts out, now concerning spiritual. The first three words of 1 Corinthians 12. And he teaches all through 12, 13, and 14. One teaching on spiritual people, how they're identified, how they belong, how their gifts work, how the power flows through them, how we build the body. It's, a, it's loaded with theology and governance. It's all about the gifts, but it's, it's got order. Seated into it is the order of God, which makes it all work. So, Obviously, you know, Jesus said, first of all, I will build my church. Jesus is building the church. What are we supposed to do then? We build people. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14 is a people building mechanism. It's how we build people. We build people up with our gifts. Prophecy is a gift to build people. When you prophesy and use your gift of prophecy, you're building somebody. You're building their life. You're building them up. Teaching, build somebody up. Serving. Everybody in the back room that's serving today with your kids is building little lives. And they're, you're getting built because they're taking care of your kids. You know what I'm saying? They're ministering to your kids so you can sit in here and get built up. It's all about building people. So Jesus said, I'll build my church, you build the people. Except the Lord build the house, we labor in vain. So Isaiah said, the government is on his shoulders. And in 1 Corinthians 12, we see this whole thing open up as the body. And then we get over to the end of chapter 12 and... Uh, I'm going to start in verse 27. It's not up there, but in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, Paul's kind of giving a concluding thought on this idea. He says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You are the many-membered body of Christ. Then he begins to give a list. And God has set in the church, appointed, tithomize the Greek word. He set it in like a deposit. God sets things in the church. He sets gifts in the church. Why? To build it, to grow it, to make it healthy, to keep things from sliding out of position. It's just like, God set parents in every home. I mean, that's that's about how simple you can say it. And God ordained the family, and he set parents in every home. Why? For order, love, care, and growth. Healthy things grow. (laughs) And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, Jared's been going through some of these lists of various gifts that God put in the church. Then miracles, gifts of healings, watch, helping. Look at the next one. This is King James. It's government. Kubernetes is the Greek word for government, but actually it's Kubernetes, not used very often in the New Testament, but it was used in the Greek nautical world as someone who steers the ship. That's pretty simple. On the good ship, Mount Helena, God puts people here to help steer the ship. Most ships, there's only one wheel. Most cars, one wheel, right? It's not a, like 15 wheels and we all get to like, I'm going to go this way, I'm going to go this way. No, I'm not. It's, not a, it's not a battle. It's like there's one rudder and God puts gifts to help rudder the ship, steer the ship. God put them in the church. Various kinds of tongues. And then he gets into these rhetorical questions. He goes, so are all apostles? No. Does everybody steer? No. <laughs> Are all prophets? Does everybody prophesy? No. All these rhetorical questions, does everybody get to choose whatever they want? He goes, no, God sets them. That's part of what leadership helps determine who's got what gift. They run spiritual gift tests in the growth track. They sit down and talk with you. What's your passion? What do you like to do? What do you think God's calling you to do? Maybe you get a prophetic word called to serve here. This is all part of getting everybody in position in the body to build the body. And we don't all do all of them. But then he says this at the end in verse 31. He says, but earnestly desire. And the Greek says it 
kind of this way, earnestly desire the higher gifts or, or, or the best gifts. Hmm. Hmm, best gift must be apostle. Okay, I desire apostle. When's the apostle class, pastor? When do you have the apostle training class? Um, we don't have that. We're going to try to fit you into the body. Are all apostles? No, we're all prophets. No, not everybody has all of them. He says, but here's how we guide our function in the gifts. Earnestly desire the best or the higher gifts. Now in the Greek, there's two ways to interpret that. And there's been arguments on, on which way to interpret that. You can take it in what's called the indicative sense or the imperative. Indicative, which means I'm indicating. And it's almost like you could look at it like Paul's indicating. Now listen, here's the problem, you Corinthians. You're all striving to be the best. I want the best gift. I want the best gift. I want to be an apostle. I want to be in charge. I, 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 I. Paul's almost like rebuking saying, here's the problem. You're desiring the best gift. That's one way to interpret that phrase. Or... I like the imperative. Like it is imperative. It's required. You must desire the best gift. What's the best gift? First of all, it's the one that God made you with. If you're a foot, desire to be the foot. Or look at it this way. What's the best gift? Well, it depends on the situation. The best gift is what? The one that meets the need in the body. So if you're sick... What's the best gift? Healing. Desire it. See, that's when healing kicks in. Why? When there's a need and people desire what? To meet the need of the body, not to look good. Well, I have the gift of healing. No, you don't. The Holy Spirit has the gift of healing and he gives it to who he wants to. <laughs> Come on, somebody. We get all puffed up because God uses it a gift and then suddenly we put a label on our merit badge. We walk in, hi, remember me? I'm the one that moves in the gift of healing. I'm a healer. It's like, no, the Holy Spirit's a healer. Sometimes in your, even in your own ignorance, he'll use you if you have the right spirit. And how do you know what the right spirit is? Well, that's why he writes the rest of it. I'll show you the mode of action, odos. I'll show you a more excellent way. Here's the excellent mode by which the gifts operate. And then he writes this whole chapter we call the love chapter, chapter 13. It's all about love. Love is that internal driver. Just like in your phone and your computer, you got an internal driver. You're enamored with what's on the screen, but they only come, they only, the screen only produces what the driver is driving. And the internal driver for the gifts of the Spirit is love. Love and unity. That's why there has to be order. And you know, we're all selfish. We're all carnal. Paul's writing to one of the most carnal churches on the planet at this time in history. The Corinthians... They were so carnal. And yet Paul's going, you can do it if you just follow after love. Just love people. I'll show you a more excellent way to see the power manifested in these people that need it. So we have these systems and we have order. And it all comes under some kind of order and governance. And that's why Paul, again, he says in Acts 20, he gathers the elders at Ephesus and he gives them this charge and he talks to the elders first. He says, look, take heed among yourselves. First of all, watch over yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer. The Holy Spirit is who makes people overseers. The word overseer, episcopos, for those that like me, I grew up in the Episcopal church. They get that from their form of government was a government of the word episcopos is translated bishop. So we get the word bishop. So you have whole denominations that call, they label themselves based on their type of government. So the government of an Episcopal church is a college of bishops and bishops oversee the flock. 
they get that title, but they actually tend to be removed from the flock. They're not on site. They're not touching. The idea of episcopos is to look over people and then where there's a need, you come down and touch the need. Epi means to come down and touch. It's a touching ministry. It's not an ecclesiastical office in a regional division somewhere. It's like, it's right here. So elders are bishops. Don't call them that. It'll go to their head. But anyway, they are. Right? Right? Bishop Quigley? Yes. Right. Bishop Quigley. No, the bishop is a function. It's not a title. We've turned it into titles, but it's a function. It's touching sheep. That's why Paul said, take heed to yourselves and the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you sheep touchers. You're a sheep toucher. I thought I just had a title in an office. Nope. You need to smell like sheep. Why? Because you should be touching a lot of sheep. You're sheep touchers. The Holy Spirit has made you a sheep toucher. Watch, okay. How do I do that? Shepherd them. Now there's an action word. It's poimeno in the Greek. It's where we get the word pastor, but it's only two times in the Greek and all of the New Testament. But it's an action word also. Shepherd them. Poimeno means to feed and rule. Ah, now the governmental aspect comes into poimeno. Shepherding function is a feeding function. We shepherd, we feed from the pulpit, we feed you the word of God and rule. It's tied together. You see, your authority to rule comes from your ability to feed. Dads, you want to rule in your home? Make sure you feed your kids. Pretty simple, isn't it? Right? Are you get, get a job, be responsible, get groceries, and help your wife put them away in the right order. Um, anyway, and, and what? That ability to feed your family. Simple function, but it's, how many know it doesn't go away? And it doubles when you have teenagers. Just warning some of you out there with your little kids, going, aren't they cute? Yeah, wait till they become teenagers. It's like, double the grocery bill. No, feed, feeding gives you the authority to rule and govern. Same in the house of God. This whole idea of, how do I do that? Shepherd the church, the flock of God that he purchased with his own blood. You didn't buy the church. You didn't die for anybody. We get the privilege of shepherding people. And that's how we have the right to govern. Because you're well-fed church, I know, I've been here for years, you have good teaching here, good feeding systems, and you have good governance here. So in all of this, we have these ideas that church government has to be based on good theology, not tradition. So many churches are built on the traditions of men. Let me give you a couple examples. I'm actually going to send Jason this because he was like, I want that list from the first service. So I'm just going to just give you, don't, don't stress, don't try to write down. You can pester Jason for it later this week. But anyway, you have different kinds of church government based on traditions like a hierarchy where the traditions of man built a hierarchical system and it's all done by top-down, heavy, one-man rule, what we call the rule of the priest, where the priest becomes almost like a dictator can't question his authority. That thing has been in the earth for a long time and it doesn't work. And then you have, well, then let's just go total democracy where the people have all the rule. That system doesn't work either. These don't work in the home. They don't work in the church. One man rule in the home doesn't work. It's a team. Democracy doesn't work in the home, especially once you have more than two kids. You can't vote on everything. You'll get voted every time, parents. So where are we going to run vacation? Ah, the kids vote three to one. I'm just like, no, we don't vote on everything. It's not a democracy. It's a theocracy. God is in charge. Or you might have an oligarchy, which is the rule of the illegitimate few, the controlling people, sometimes the money people, influential people that manipulate the leaders behind the scenes and use money to to do that. They become the spiritual mafia. Oligarchy doesn't work. Neither does co-equal on everything. That doesn't work. The devil wanted to be equal. He never wanted to be above God. He just wanted to be equal with them. 
there's one theocratic church system, the rule of God called theocracy, where God appoints elders in plural leadership, having spiritual authority, loving like a loving husband. Good old Ephesians 5. How does Jesus really love his bride? How does Jesus, the head of the church, love us? He gave us the analogy right out of marriage in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church and laid his life down for them. I know these elders really well and their wives. Every one of them is willing to lay their life down for you. They love you. They sacrifice through you. The things they do behind the scenes, you'll never know. I don't know how many phone calls we've had over the last two years, JR, and Zooms and what do I do? And I don't know, let's pray for me. And this, I got this going on. It's like a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. You guys don't know it. But these guys are laying their lives down. They're praying for you. They're working through things because they love you and they're under God's governance. They're a team that relates not only to one another, they relate to you. And they also relate to um, Brian and I as oversight team. And then I relate to my pastor, my elders. It's a beautiful layering of accountability and oversight because we all love people. That's why we're in this business. So real quick, just run through this real quick. New Testament theocracy, Bible-based governance for the church is simple. Jesus is the head of the church. And you can get this. You can figure it out. I just want to go through it. Jesus is, he's the head of the church, right? Colossians 1.18. Jesus is the head of the church. This is not JR's church. We do that. I call my church Kendrick's church because Kendrick's my pastor. It's Kendrick's church. What does that mean? He's in charge. It's not JR's church. We know JR didn't die for anybody and you got to be glad he didn't. <laughs> so it is the church of Jesus Christ, but you identify and I understand that. But in God's church and in Jesus' church, he has God-ordained elders, local under-shepherds, shepherd the flock of God. We went through the scriptures already. Not for title or position. And then there's you, or as we say in the Carolinas, and then there's y'all. What's y'all's job here? Number three, you're the congregation. You're the people. You're the body that we're trying to equip and get out into hell and share the gospel and lay hands on people. And so the congregation, you are the royal priesthood. You are the deal. You are the bride. The fivefold ministry shepherd. We're just the we're just the we're the attendants. We're the bridal party. But it's not about us. The show's not about the bridal party. It's all about getting the bride ready. So you are the royal priesthood, a holy nation. The congregation along with the diaconate, we call it. The diaconate, those that are called to serve. That's everybody. There were deacons they appointed in Acts 6. They looked out from among them and said, hmm, who's serving? Mm, they are, oh yeah, they're good. I thought they're so good that you never have to add these. Suddenly they looked out among them, men and women filled with the Holy Spirit and power and faith, like, whew, let's get them to serve. Why? It frees us up to do spiritual work. So we can give ourselves to prayer and the study of the word. Why? Feeding and ruling. If you release your shepherds to feed you and rule well, guess what? Order in the house. Guess what? Power in the community. Guess what? Whew, release of the presence of God wherever you go. And then the servants get their place in the body. Then everybody's like, I didn't know I was a foot. I thought I was an arm all these years. <laughs> I'm a foot. I belong. And the hand can't say to the, or the eye can't say to the nose, I don't need you and I don't need you. We all need one another. Congregation, one of your main responsibilities, 1 Timothy 2, is to pray for your leaders. It always goes well with you when you pray for your leaders. It's like the, out of the Ten Commandments, one came through into the New Testament, one of the beautiful ones, along with love the Lord your God, but... Honor your father and mother. It's the first commandment with promise. Why? That may go well with you. Kids, hear me. Honor mom and dad. It goes well with you. Church, hear me. Pray for your leaders. It goes well with you. 
Pray for them, not criticize them, pray for them. If you feel like criticizing them, pray harder. Pray more. <laughs> that means they're under attack and they need you. This all works in spiritual family. It works in natural family. This is what God is just trying to say. Let's keep this uh, input and feedback. You know, you need input from your kids to know where the family's at. Sometimes pet kids have to come and say, Mom, Dad, are you in, do you realize what's going on? <laughs> or you have to say to them, what is going on with your life? I'm not just being nosy. I care. I want to know. And so we have an interaction as a family, and then you have apostolic covering. Brian was here for the first service. I'm here. We come regularly. We're on the phone regularly. We meet. I just met with the elders and their wife. We love you guys. We're here like, what can we do to help you? And not only do you get me, you get me and my elders. I'm on an eldership team in my church. You get my pastor. You get our friends. One big happy family. All team Jesus. One team, different divisions, right? So, I'm going to wrap it up with this last admonition, going back to the gifts. So there's all kinds of gifts, governmental gifts, fivefold ministry gifts, Romans 12 gifts, Romans, 1 Corinthians 12. But you put it all together, the operation of the gifts, going back to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, one teaching, end of 14, last verse. 1 Corinthians 14, last verse. I call it the Corinthian mandate, because Paul's writing to all this, and Paul includes in this big chunk, apostles, prophets, governance, healing, the nine gifts of the Spirit. Puts all this in here. Puts all those parameters in place. Governance. You know, the gifts need to be governed so that there's order. Watch how he concludes this. I'm actually going to back up verse 39. Paul says, So, brothers, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire prophecy particularly. Don't forbid speaking in tongues. This is not to forbid or withhold. It's to release. And look at verse 40. But all things should be done decently and in order. That's how Paul concludes the whole teaching he gives the Corinthian church who are a bunch of bozos and very carnal and selfish and like out of control, charismatic lunacy. Paul didn't say, shut it down. No more, no more gifts. He said, no, 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 no. Desire prophecy. Don't shut it down. Don't despise prophecy. Don't forbid charismatic. Don't forget glossolalia. Don't forget spiritual language. Don't, Don't forbid any of that. But everything needs to be done decently and in order. Well, where are we going to get the order from? Governance. You get the order from God's order. All comes back around to like order in the house. Order in the house brings power. Brings his presence. And brings a reach into your community. That people, people are, there's people wanting to know, is God real in hell and Montana? Is there a God in hell and Montana? Is he real? How are we ever going to know he's real? His power. His presence. And they can get it here. Yeah, you'll start here on Sunday morning. Get him, in, get him here. Just get him here. Invite him. Bribe him. With coffee. You know, not, not a lot of money, but hey, I'll pick you up. And by the way, I'm, I'm swinging through Starbucks on my way to pick you up for Sunday. What can I get you? You know, people would react to that. They go, really? Okay, yeah, I'll have a latte. Yeah, you're going to pick me up at what time? Quarter to ten. I'll be there. Dude. Oh, suddenly, you've got, you've, you're already linking somebody. That's your first, the links start out there. We finish them off in here. Um, and get people linked and tell you what, they're going to experience power. The power of love, care, community, prayer, prophetic word, encouragement. People are dying out there, everybody. It's our privilege to seek and save the lost with Jesus. Are you with me? It's going to be a great week. Yes. Easter's coming, Super Bowl. Get somebody, say, I got free tickets to the Super Bowl Sunday. Super Bowl at Mount Helena. It's the greatest event ever. The resurrection of Jesus. Let's pray.
Father, you love the church. You died for the church. We didn't. None of us here died for anybody. But God, you died for us. The greatest event in history where God dies for humans that he made. So God, we want to celebrate it this week. I pray that you will continue to build community here. Release the power of community. That your presence would be known here by the love they have one for another. You'll know that they're my disciples by the love they have for one another. And that love will permeate into the lives of lost and hurting people all over this community. So Father, we send, now apostolically, we send this house into the community this week to be a light. Let their light so shine before men that we can see their good works and glorify our Father in heaven. You say amen, church? God bless you. Have an awesome week.